we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 6 So the great sage quietly rested, while the hosts of heaven encompassed him. Meanwhile, the great compassionate Bodhisattva Kuan Yin had come at the invitation of the Queen of Heaven to attend the great feast. With her, she brought her chief disciple, Hui Yan, and on arriving, they were astounded to find the banqueting halls in utter desolation and confusion. The couches were broken or pushed aside, and although there were a good few immortals, they had not attempted to take their places, but were standing about in noisy groups, protesting and disputing. After saluting the Bodhisattva, they told her the whole story of what had occurred. If there is no banquet and no drinks are going, she said, you had better all come with me to see the Jade Emperor. On the way, they met the red-legged immortal, and others, who told them that a heavenly army had been sent to arrest the culprit, but had not yet returned. I should like to see the Emperor, said Quan Yin. I must trouble you to announce my arrival. Lao Tzu was with the Emperor and the Queen of Heaven in attendance behind the throne. What about the peach banquet? Kuan Yin asked after the customary greetings had been exchanged. It has always been such fun year after year, said the Emperor. It is terribly disappointing that this year everything has been upset by that terrible ape. I have sent 100,000 soldiers to pen him in, but the whole day has passed without news, and I don't know whether they have been successful. I think that you had better go down quickly to the mountain of flowers and fruit, said the Bodhisattva to her disciple Hui Yen, and investigate the military situation. If hostilities are actually in progress, you can give a hand. In any case, let us know exactly how things stand. When he arrived, he found a close cordon many soldiers deep, with sentries on watch at every exit. The mountain was completely surrounded, and escape impossible. Day was just breaking when Hui Yen, who was the second son of Vaisravana and had been called Prince Moksha before his conversion, was shown into his father's tent. "'Where do you come from, my son?' asked Vaisravana. "'I have been sent to see how things are going on,' he said. "'We camped here yesterday,' said Vaisravana, and I sent the nine planets as challengers, but they were unable to stand up against this rogue's magic and returned discomfited. Then I led an army myself, and he marshaled his followers. We were about one hundred thousand men and fought with him till dusk, when he used some magic method of self-multiplication, and we had to withdraw. On examining our booty, 
we found we had captured a certain number of tigers, wolves, leopards, and other animals, but not a single monkey. Today, the fight has not yet begun. While they were speaking, a messenger rushed in and announced that the great sage and all his host of monkeys were outside, shouting their battle cries. The kings of the Four Quarters, Vaisravana and his son Nata, had just agreed to go out and meet him when Hui Yan said, Father, I was sent by the Bodhisattva to obtain information, but she said that if hostilities were in progress, I was to lend a hand. I confess, I should like to go and have a look at this great sage of yours. My son, said Vaisravana, you cannot have studied with the Bodhisattva for so many years without having learned some form of magic. Don't forget to put it into practice. Dear Prince, girding up his embroidered cloak and brandishing his iron cudgel with both hands, he rushed out to the camp gate, crying in a loud voice, Which of you is the great sage, equal of heaven? Monkey held up his wishing staff and answered, I am he. Who are you that are so rashly dare inquire for me? Huiyan said, I am Vaisravana's second son, Moksha. Now I am pupil and defender of the Bodhisattva Quenyin, and stand before her throne. My name in religion is Huiyan. What then are you doing here? asked Monkey. I was sent, said he, to get news of the battle, and as they are having so much trouble with you, I have come myself to arrest you. How dare you talk so big, said Monkey. Stand your ground and taste old Monkey's cudgel. Moksha was not at all afraid, but advanced flourishing his iron cudgel. Those two stood face to face at the foot of the mountain, outside the gate of the camp. It was a grand fight. They closed fifty or sixty times, till at last Hui Yen's arms and shoulders were aching. He could resist no more and fled from the battlefield. Monkey too withdrew his monkey troops and bade them rest outside the cave. Moksha, still gasping and panting, tottered into his father's camp. It's only too true, he said. That great sage is indeed the most formidable of magicians. I could do nothing with him and have had to come back, leaving him in possession of the field. Vaisravana was very astonished. He saw nothing for it but to write out an appeal for further help. This he entrusted to the demon king Mahabali and his son Moksha, who at once passed through the cordon and soared to heaven. How are you people down below getting on? asked Quen Yin. My father told me, said Hui Yen, that in the first day's battle they captured a number of tigers, leopards, wolves, and other animals, but not a single monkey. Soon after I arrived, the battle began again, and I closed with the great sage some fifty or sixty times, but could not get the better of him and was obliged to retire to the camp. 
My father then sent the demon king Mahabali and me to ask for help. The Bodhisattva Quen Yin bowed her head and reflected. When the Jade Emperor opened Vaisravana's missive and saw that it contained an appeal for help, he said laughing, This is preposterous. Am I to believe that a single monkey spirit is so powerful that a hundred thousand heavenly troops cannot deal with him? Vaisravana says that he must have help, but I don't know what troops he expects me to send. Before he had finished speaking, Quen Yin pressed together the palms of his hands and said, Your Majesty need not worry. I know of a divinity who can certainly catch this monkey. Whom do you mean? asked the Emperor. Your nephew, the magician Er Lang, she said. He lives at the mouth of the River of Libations and there receives the incense that is burned in the world below. In old days, he once overcame six ogres. He has his brothers with him and 1,000 plant-headed deities of very great magical powers. Though he would not come if ordered to, he would listen to an appeal. If you send an appeal to him for troops, with his assistance, we could effect a capture. The demon king Mahabali was sent as a messenger, and in less than half an hour, the cloud he rode on reached Erlang's temple. He came out with his brothers, and after burning incense, read the appeal. Let the heavenly messenger go back, he said, and announce that I will help to the utmost of my power. So he called together his brothers and said, the Jade Emperor has just asked us to go to the Mountain of Flowers and Fruit and receive the submission of a troublesome monkey. Let's be off! The brothers were delighted and they at once marshalled the divinities in their charge. The whole temple set out, falcon on wrist or leading their dogs, bow in hand, carried by a wild magic wind. In a trice, they had crossed the eastern ocean and reached the mountain of flowers and fruit. Having announced their mission, they were led through the cordon and shown into the camp. They asked how matters stood. I shall certainly have to try a transformation, Erlang said. Keep the cordon closely drawn, but don't worry about what goes on overhead. If I am getting the worst of it, do not come to my assistance. My brothers will look after me. If I conquer him, do not try to bind him, but leave that to my brothers. All I ask is that Vaisravana should use an imp-reflecting mirror, standing with it halfway up the sky. If he tries to run away and hide, watch his reflection in the mirror so that we don't lose sight of him. The heavenly kings then took up their places, and Ar Lang and his brothers went out to give the challenge, telling their fellows to form a circle, keeping their falcons tethered and their dogs on leash. When he reached the door of the cave, Ar Lang found a host of monkeys drawn up in coiling dragon formation. In their midst was a banner with the Great Sage, Equal of Heaven, inscribed upon it. 
How dare the cursed monster call himself equal of heaven, snarled Er Lang. Don't worry about that, said the brothers, but go and challenge him at once. When the small monkeys at the entrance to the camp saw Er Lang coming, they scuttled inside and made their report. Monkey seized his metal-bound cudgel, donned his golden breastplate, put on his cloud-treading shoes and golden cap, and rushed out to the gate, glaring about him. "'What little captain are you, and where do you hail from?' shouted Monkey. "'That you dare come here and challenge me to battle. "'Have you eyes with no eyeballs that you fail to know me?' shouted Arlang. "'I am the Jade Emperor's nephew, and I have come now, by his majesty's command, to arrest you. "'Rebellious groom-ape that you are, your hour has come.' "'I remember,' said Monkey, "'that some years ago the Emperor's sister fell in love with a mortal of the world below, "'became his consort, and had a son by him, "'who is said to have split the Peach Mountain with his axe. "'Are you he?' I am half-minded to give you a bit of my mind, but you are not worth it. I should be sorry to strike you, for one blow of mine would be the end of you. Go back where you came from, little fellow, and tell the four kings of heaven to come instead. Ar Lang was furious. Keep a civil tongue in your head, he cried, and taste my blade. Monkey dodged aside and swiftly, raising his cudgel, struck in his turn. They closed over three hundred times without reaching a decision. Arlang exerted all his magic power, shook himself hard and changed into a giant figure a hundred thousand feet high. His two arms, each holding aloft a magic trident, were like the peaks that crown Mount Hua. His face was blue, and his teeth stuck far out. The hair on his head was scarlet, and his expression malignant beyond words. This terrible apparition advanced upon Monkey, aiming a blow straight down upon his head. But Monkey, also using his magic powers, changed himself into an exact counterpart of Ar Lang, save that he held above him a single, gigantic cudgel like the solitary pillar that towers above Mount Kunlun, and with this he fended off Arlang's blow. But Monkey's generals were completely discomforted by the giant apparition, and their hands began to tremble so much that they could not wave their banners. His other officers were in panic and could not use their swords. At a word from the brothers, the plant-headed divinities rushed in, letting loose their falcons and dogs, and bow in hand, all charged into the fray. Alas, Monkey's four generals fled, and two or three thousand of the creatures they commanded were captured. The monkeys threw down their weapons and rushed, screaming, some up the mountain, some into the cave. It was jesters when a cat at night disturbs roosting birds and their panic fills the starry sky. When Monkey saw his followers scatter, his heart fluttered. He abandoned his giant form and fled as fast as his feet could carry him. Ar Lang strode after him with huge steps, crying, 
Where are you off to? Come back this minute and I will spare your life. But Monkey fled faster than ever to his cave, where he ran straight into his brothers. Wretched Monkey, where are you running to? They cried. Monkey, trembling in every limb, hastily turned his cudgel into an embroidery needle and, hiding it about his person, changed himself into a fish and slipped into the stream. Rushing down to the bank, Aralang could see nothing of him. This Simeon, he said, has certainly changed himself into a fish and hidden under the water. I must change myself too if I am to catch him. So he changed himself into a cormorant and skimmed hither and thither over the stream. Monkey, looking up out of the water, suddenly saw a bird hovering above. It was like a blue kite, but its plumage was not blue. It was like a heron, but had no tuft on its head. It was like a crane, but its feet were not red. I'll be bound, that's our Lang looking for me. He released a few bubbles and swam swiftly away. That fish letting bubbles, said our Lang to himself, is like a carp, but its tail is not red. It is like a tench, but there are no patterns on its scales. It is like a blackfish, but there are no stars on its head. It is like a bream, but there are no bristles on its gills. Why did it make off like that when it saw me? I'll be bound, it's Monkey, who has changed himself into a fish. And swooping down, he opened his beak and snapped at him. Monkey whisked out of the water and changed himself into a freckled bustard, standing all alone on the bank. Seeing that he had reached the lowest possible stage in transformation, for the freckled bustard is the lowest and most promiscuous of creatures, mating at hazard with any bird that comes its way. Our Lang did not deign to close with him, but returned to his true form, and, fetching his sling, shot a pellet that sent Monkey rolling. Taking advantage of his opportunity, Monkey rolled and rolled down the mountainside, and when he was out of sight, he changed himself into a wayside shrine. His mouth wide open was the door opening. His teeth he turned into door flaps, his tongue into the guardian bodhisattva. His two eyes were the two round windows. He didn't quite know what to do with his tail, but sticking up straight behind him, it looked like a flagpole. When Ar Lang arrived at the bottom of the slope, he expected to find the bustard that had been toppled over, but instead he only found a small shrine. Examining it closely, he noticed the flagpole sticking up behind and laughed, saying, that's Monkey, that is. He's trying his tricks again on me. I have seen many shrines, but never one with a flagpole sticking up behind. No doubt about it, this animal is playing one of his games. He hopes to lure me up close to him, and then he will bite me. He won't get me that way. I'll clench my fist and bang in the windows first. Afterwards, I'll kick down the doors. When Monkey heard this... He was horrified. That's a bit too much, he said to himself. The doors are my teeth, 
and the windows are my eyes. If he kicks my teeth and bangs my eyes, that won't be nice. So saying, he made a tiger spring and disappeared into the sky. Ah Lang was just getting tired of the vain pursuit when his brothers arrived. Well, have you caught the great sage? they asked. He has just been trying to dodge me, said Ah Lang, by turning into a shrine. I was just going to hit his windows and kick down his doors when he suddenly disappeared. It's a queer business. They all began peering helplessly about in every direction, but could find nothing. You stay here and keep a lookout, said Ah Lang, while I go up and search for him. He mounted the clouds, and halfway up the sky came across Vaisravana, who was holding the magic mirror, his son, at his side. Have you seen the Monkey King? he asked. He has not been up here, said Vaisravana. I can see him in my mirror, you know. When Arlang had told him about the capture of the lesser monkeys and the great sage's repeated transformations, he added, Then he changed into a shrine, and when I hit at it, he suddenly disappeared. Vaisravana looked in his mirror and burst out laughing. Make haste, Arlang, make haste, he cried. That monkey has made himself invisible, decamped, and made straight for your river of libations. When Arlang heard this, he picked up his magic lance and fled towards the river of libations as fast as he could. Now as soon as Monkey reached the river, he changed himself into the exact image of Arlang and went straight into Arlang's shrine. The guardian demons of the shrine could not tell the difference and bowed low as he came in. He examined the incense smoke and was looking at the votive paintings round the walls when someone came and announced, Another Arlang has arrived. The guardian deities rushed out and could hardly believe their eyes. Has a great creature calling himself the great sage, equal of heaven, been here? The real Arlang asked. We've seen nothing of any great sage, they said. But there's another holy Arlang inside, examining the incense smoke. He rushed in, and as soon as Monkey saw him, he changed into his true form and said, Ah Lang, I don't mind telling you the surname of that shrine was Sun. Ah Lang raised his three-pronged, two-bladed magic lance and struck at Monkey's cheek. Monkey dodged, and the two of them, cursing and fighting, edged towards the shrine gate and out into the mists and clouds, struggling as they went till at last Monkey was driven to the mountain of flowers and fruit where the kings of the four quarters were keeping straight guard. The brothers came to meet Ar Lang and surrounded Monkey, pressing about him on every side. Meanwhile, in heaven, everyone was wondering why a whole day had passed without any news from Ar Lang. Would your majesty, asked Quen Yin, Permit me and the Patriarch of Tao to go down in person and see how things are going. Not a bad idea, said the Jade Emperor. And in the end, he and the Queen of Heaven, as well as Quen Yin and Lao Tzu, all went to the southern gate of heaven and looked out. 
They saw the great cordon of heavenly troops and Vaisravana standing halfway up the sky holding a mirror, while Ar Lang and his brothers pressed round Monkey, tussling fiercely with him. That Ar Lang, whom I proposed, hasn't done so badly, said Quen Yin. He has hemmed the great sage in, though he has not yet taken him prisoner. With a little help, I think he could manage it. What weapon do you propose to use? How are you going to help him? asked Lao Tzu. I shall throw my vase and willow spray down on his head, said Quen Yin. That won't kill him, but it will make him lose his balance, and Ah Lang will easily be able to catch him. Your vase, said Lao Tzu, is made of porcelain. If it fell in just the right place, it might be all right, but if it misses his head and falls on his iron cudgel, it will get broken. You had better leave him to me. Have you got a weapon? asked Quen Yin. I certainly have, said Lao Tzu, and he produced from his sleeve a magic snare. This, he said, is called the Diamond Snare. In old days, when I left China, converted the barbarians of the West and became a god, I owed my success entirely to this snare. It comes in handy for keeping off all manner of dangers. Let me throw it down onto him. Standing at the gate of heaven, he cast his snare, and it went rippling down straight onto Monkey's head. Monkey was busy warring with Ar Lang and his brothers, and did not notice that a weapon was falling upon him out of the sky. It hit him just on the crown of the head and toppled him over. He scrambled to his feet and fled, pursued by Arlang's dogs, who went for his calves so that he stumbled again. Lying on the ground, he cursed, saying, That has done for me! Why can't you go and trip up your own master instead of coming and biting old monkey's legs? He twisted and turned, but could not rise, for the brothers were holding him down. Soon they had bound him tightly with ropes and severed his loot bone with a knife, so that he could not transform himself. Lao Tzu drew in his snare and begged the Emperor, Quen Yin, the Queen of Heaven, and all the immortals to go back to the palace. On earth below, the kings of the Four Quarters and Vaisravana and all the heavenly host sheathed their swords and plucked up their palisades. Then they came up to Arlang and congratulated him, saying, We owe this victory to you. Not at all, said Arlang. It was entirely due to the founder of Tao and the gallant performances of the heavenly contingent. I can claim no credit at all. Elder brother, said the brothers of Arlang, you have said enough. What we must do now is to hoist this fellow up to heaven and get a ruling from the Jade Emperor as to how he is to be disposed of. Brothers, said Arlang, you are not on the roll of immortals and cannot appear before the Emperor. Heavenly troops must be told to carry him up, and Vaisravana and I will go up and report. The rest of you had better search the mountain, and when you can report that all is clear, come to the River of Libations and let me know. Meanwhile, I will claim the reward due for my services and then come back to make merry with you. The brothers bowed their assent. Arlang mounted the clouds, chanting songs of victory, 
and made his way to heaven. Here he sent in a message saying, The great sage has been captured by the hosts of heaven and I have come to receive your instructions. The Jade Emperor accordingly told the demon king Mahabali and a contingent of heavenly troops to hoist Monkey up and bring him to the executioner's block where he was to be cut into small pieces. If you do not know what now became of this monkey king, listen to what is told in the next chapter. been listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. <laughs> <laughs>